So we're still in Matthew 18, but we're in a very um, popular passage that starts with verse 15. And I'm titling this message today, and it's going to be you know, a good two-parter here, but resolving conflict in Matthew 18, 15 way. And it's so common, you may even hear in churches or Christian schools, and, you know, have you done Matthew 18, 15 yet? Have, have you, and because it triggers an understanding that God knows how to not just resolve conflict. His goal is much higher than that. He wants to restore lives and restore relationships in a powerful and beautiful way. You know, God just doesn't want us to thrive and just, you know, get through some conflicts. No, He, want us, he wants us not just to, to survive. He wants us to thrive. And, and so God brings a, a, a way that he can be in the middle of a process and bring restoration either to relationships or to individuals. This um, tug-of-war image on the title slide is one that is uh, just a common concept for a different um, you know, conflict and so forth. But uh, how, you, how about you guys, just these little puppies having some tug-of-war? And um, we're a little bit more in tune with the dog world right now. Uh, we haven't had a dog for about five years. He, little old Bichon Frise, cute little Henry, passed away about five years ago. Uh, but our son, Michael, has been out of town for three weeks. So that means we've got to take care of the dog. Now, I said we, and my wife is going, what are you talking about, we? <laughs> Lisa's going, there's no we about it, okay? And uh, she has been taking care of this dog. And I've played with Penny, you know, a, a, a few times. Um, again, I'm not going to say that I play with this dog, but she likes to do tug of war. And even though they might growl, and even though they're pushing, they're just having fun, aren't they? Wouldn't it be great if that tug of war was in our lives is just really, it might look bad, but it's just for fun, it's just playing. Well, no, conflict can lead to strife. It can lead to division. Conflict is normal. It's a part of all relationships. It's a part of good marriages. It's a part of bad marriages. But in good marriages, they know how to work through it, and it doesn't turn into strife and division in that family, in that small group, in that church setting, in that business, in that school, in that, you know, whatever it is, conflict is going to be there. We cannot just uh, eliminate conflict. It's a part of life, even with two very godly people. It's still going to happen. Disagreement is going to happen. Misunderstanding, miscommunication. People are going to miss each other. It's just a part of life. So it's something in this passage in Matthew 18, starting at verse 15, is, is such an important passage to follow. There's this thing even in uh, that we've heard this phrase, head in the sand. And it's a, uh, it's a concept that even business people will talk about and teach on about avoiding conflict in that organization that business and it's and and, and the image comes from ostriches that put their head in the sand well i did just a little bit of reading and didn't take long uh oftentimes people think they're the myth is they put their head in the sand because they're afraid of danger in the area and that's not it at all that's a myth so so really the the illustration doesn't fit the true live nature story but ostriches don't have nests in trees because they can't climb trees or fly into trees to have nests. So they have nests underground where they put their eggs. So they 
actually put their heads down in this nest to move the eggs around to keep the temperature the same for the, for the different eggs. And so they often will put their heads in the ground. Now, when they are scared, they either run or they just lay down and, and try to camouflage themselves, but they actually don't put their heads in the sound. So always sorry to kind of like, you know, ruin a great uh, uh, little phrase. You know, you put your head in the sound, sand, you think someone is avoiding or being scared of something. But this is a pretty common phrase. Even used in investing terms, they'll say you're doing the ostrich principle. You're not looking seriously at your investments that some are need to be changed and you just want to keep everything the same. And I bet that's been a very recent uh, phrase used for investors for their clients lately. So here's it is uh, kind of the ostrich principle for relationships. Avoidance is the best short-term strategy to escape conflict and the best long-term strategy to ensure suffering. That we, all of us, have a tendency to avoid conflict, some more than others, and it's just a principle of life. This, you know, this isn't a principle that just only works for Christians or whatever. This is just a principle of relationships throughout different settings that avoiding conflict, the longer you do so, you're going to assure further issues and challenges and problems that you probably do not want to deal with. We've been in uh, Matthew 18 before uh, where Jesus took very seriously holiness about removing your eye if it causes your sin, cut your hand off your foot off if, cut off if it causes you to sin. I mean, he is really shaking us and saying, take holiness seriously. And now we're looking at relationships that he wants holiness relationships. It's a radical call to holiness in all areas of our life. Uh, a resource that I'm using is just better than I thought it would be. It's uh, called um, uh, The Peacemaker by Ken Sandy. Here's the book. It's, it's just got a lot of content to it. It's very thorough, and I'm using it as a resource over the next couple of uh, teachings. And one thing he likes to do when he teaches, he likes to use acronyms or, you know, a, a letter and be, begin every point with a certain letter or whatever. And he has what he calls the four G's of peacemaking. And I like the way he's worded these, so we're going to use them. The four G's of peacemaking. The first one being, number one, is to glorify God. And the question you're asking yourself, how can I please and honor God in this situation? So many times in conflict, we are focused on the other person, what they did, what's, what is the, the harm that's been done, and our emotions get right in, into it and, get, and rise up quickly. And actually, we need to step back and say, hey, in all areas of my life, in all things, in all my attitudes, I want to honor God. I want to glorify God. God, how can I please you and honor you in this situation, in before I do anything next, or before I say anything next, or let, let me just step back and say, God, how can I have bring this be a, a, a season of holiness in my life? And so, one thing that you want to realize here do I have the scripture, 1 Peter 4 next, or is it the uh, statement? statement? Yeah, okay. 
All right, so just a little confused about the placement of my notes here. One thing that happens is that conflict is it's like, I, I, I kind of had this sense that reflecting on this, it's like a jungle full of weeds and, and brush. And yet, you know, it's like, I want, I can't, how do I even get through this? It's so complicated. So how do you even, it, but you have hope and faith that on the other side, there is restoration. On the other side, there's something. If I stay here and I keep avoiding it, I believe that it's going to get worse, but I need to get through. And it's like, man, this is, I don't know if I'm going to do this. And, but hey, if you care enough, you will go through those weeds. You care enough to weed through the conflict to get to this, this situation, to get to uh, the, the relationship and see God restored, or just get to this person's heart. It's going to take some effort to get through these weeds. I was thinking about that too. If it's a jungle, well, sometimes, and I you know, try to work at this, don't let those weeds and your, the mulching areas and the bushes, because that can happen, right? The weeds can come, and, and the beauty is gone because the weeds have covered up where the flowers and the, and the bushes usually are. And, but you have vision on what it, it, it looked like before, what it could look like. And I'm going to have to get through the weeds to get back to the beauty of this relationship being stored to that person's heart being restored to God. You might say, well, listen, Stephen, you know, you're talking about, you know, approaching someone in uncomfortable situations. This is not easy. I mean, aren't we supposed to really, uh, you know, just, just love people? And if they just you know, keep on sinning or keep on offending and hurting me or others. Aren't I supposed to overlook those with long-suffering? And, and I'm so just, I mean, in fact, right, the Bible says, 1 Peter 4, 8, Above all, keep fervent, 1 Peter 4, 8, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. See, see Stephen, that's what you're supposed to do. You're just supposed to... Just keep loving them and don't worry about it. Trust God with it. What we find is, is that actually love will send us into action. The goal is not to make their secrets public and embarrass them. The goal is not to get back in them and tell others about it and have revenge on them, but it's to, to take one step at a time, these little steps that God gives us to restore trust and to get to a person's heart. So, well, when, when do you actually approach someone? When do you deal with something like this? And, and it's, it's pretty obvious, it's pretty simple. When, you're, when this sin or this behavior and these actions are causing damage to your friendship, relationship with this person, and it's, it's a pattern, it can continue on, it's not a one-time thing, then you've got to be honest and you've got to go there and deal with it. You know, how about if it's hurting themselves, you're seeing them, their walk with God, their relationships are getting worse, no one is being honest with them, then again, it's obvious. Or if they're hurting others, not just themselves, but others. I have... Uh, a dear friend, we've been, I call him lifelong friend, but we met in college. 
and we got to be on the same hall together as, as uh, RA and chaplain, and he taught me the, for the first time uh, 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 you know, some, some good friendship principles to live by. I was, uh, and I still am an extrovert, and just had uh, a lot of uh, friends that I would just kind of you know, interact with and hang out with, and he wanted to go deeper in a friendship, and it, it caught my attention. I, I realized, okay, you know, I'm friendly, I, I've got a lot of friends. No, but he wants to go in deepening friendship relationships. And so we did, and, and he taught me so much. I'm going to guess, you know, maybe, uh, and, and thank God we've been able to keep in contact, not as much as we want to, but it's just like, you know, old times, right? There's nothing changed. We could keep, keep growing deep in a relationship. And one time he was, he, was, uh, he and I were, were together, and this is, you know, we're, we're out of college, we're at a seminary, and, and he, uh, you know, was bringing up something about our friendship and relationship, and it's like, man, this is his style, man. He knows how to really pick things out and, and go deeper. But I said, you know, I said, you know, all, every, some things we just let go, and we choose to go deeper with more important issues. And... You know, it kind of, the conversation kind of went dead there, didn't go much further. And it was like a couple of years later, he said, Stephen, I remember when you shared that to me, and that's been a big help. So it's not like we're, hey, you know, you, you, uh, you have the toilet paper going on this side of the, of, the, of the holder, it needs to be on this side. Hey, the toothpaste, you keep squeezing it in the middle. Hey, you know, hey, you keep, uh, you know, you put the, 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 the knife this way, not that way. Hey, you put in the, you know, it, it, it just confronting every little thing all the time. It's, it's not that, right? And again, if we want to glorify God, God will help guide us in timing and issues. One, is it damaging your relationship? Number two, is it uh, hurting them in uh, their life? Is it hurting others and damaging others? Then you, you'll, you'll get uh, some guidance from the Lord on what to do next. Let's read this passage. I'm just going to read it straight through. Matthew 18, starting at verse 15, going through verse 20. Jesus is speaking. He says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, Tell it to the church. But if he refuses to even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And again, I say to you, that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for, you, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. We see this phrase in this passage, uh, two or three. Where two or three agree on earth, then, then that's, that's true, that's established truth. God's going to say, yes, I confirm that. If two or three are gathered together in His name, He's going to be in the midst and bring two or three. So this becomes uh, a, a process of, of where we're trying to establish truth and reality of what's really going on. And the foundation, one foundation for this is for us to have in our own hearts and lives, humility. 
Well, let me tell you, if there's been a conflict and it's getting worse, humility is a hard thing to come back because you're seeing them and you're looking and you can see everything that they've done wrong. And You see what I'm saying? Jesus addresses this very directly in Matthew chapter 7. Let's go there. Matthew 7, verses 1 through 6. Don't you know Jesus is a master of relationships? And so when he is giving instruction about relationships, we need to take it to heart. We need to say, yes, this is, this is good for me. This is good practice for me. Matthew 7, uh, verses 1 through 6, Jesus is talking. He said, do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye? But do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Now, verse 6, again, I believe, tells us that this is something we need to stay in prayer about. Because there are people, and it's a few. This, is, this verse 6, this last verse, really applies to fairly rare occasions where you are to release that person because they're under somebody else's care, because they are not open to truth right now. And they're going to just take your good heart that you're going to present to them, and they're going to just laugh at it and squash it and just... Get worse. But again, don't let that be, oh, uh, well, they're all, they're all swine. I'm not going to, you know, and you end up avoiding conflict over and over again because you're claiming that, oh, they're just one of these, like verse 6. So you just, just don't give this, this truth, you know, to, the, to these, uh, these dogs because they're just going to, you know. It's more of a rare occasion because God has another time, another person to deal with that situation. But it's so funny how, you know, your eyes are so sensitive. And if you have a speck in your eye, I mean, you can't, you can't hardly deal with it, right? I mean, you're blinking and it hurts. You can feel it no matter how you're feeling. It, you're trying to get it out. You're trying to help somebody help me get this. And then he says, listen, yeah, this person needs to get the speck out. I mean, specks in an eye is a bad thing. It messes up your vision. It can do damage if it stays there too long. But he says, listen, check for the log in your own. Don't you love the way Jesus, in his illustrations, he goes, he goes like to, to animation, to comics, where, I mean, you can't even put that in a movie. You can't put a log in somebody's eye, but in animation or in comics, you can draw it in there, and it's just ridiculous. How could a log be in somebody's eye? But he said, we can be that blinded and have, you know, these blind spots that we're not seeing so this humility is the key for us as you start a process of, okay, Matthew 18, 15, hold it, let me have some humility here. Oh, before God, before others, I actually have bigger than a speck. Yes, this person needs help, they have a speck, but I've got a log. And the Holy Spirit, if you're surrendered to Him, He will let you see those specks, those, those logs, those little logs or those specks that you have even if, oh yeah, they're, you know, they, they, they did, whatever they did, it was horrible. But whatever contribution you made, and let's look at that. Whatever contribution you made to the conflict, 
The Holy Spirit wants to pick that out and purify you before you bring it up. And this is principle number two under the four G's of peacemaking. And I like how Ken Sandy writes this. He says, get the log out of your eye. How can I so show Jesus' work in me by taking responsibility for my contribution to this conflict? Because if you're able to actually show that, that you really were humble and you realize, oh, maybe it was just 10% of the conflict was on you. 90% was them. I mean, you, you know, but God revealed there was a portion on you. If you humble yourself and say, I'm sorry for my tone, or I'm sorry for these words I used, they were hurtful. I'm sorry. And because you've been convicted of that now, and they're going to go, wow, they, they, are, they have a good heart here. They, they want what's best for us in our relationship. They are humbling themselves. They're even admitting what they did wrong. And that right there will bring tension down. That right there will just bring it on a whole other place. You just open a door. Humility, as, as uh, the Bible says, that, that humble yourself before God and, and He will give you grace. Humility opens the door for grace. So as I said, we're trying, God is trying to establish reality and truth in a situation. As we know, it's, it's, Jesus says, the truth will set you free. A scripture I've used for several weeks in sanctification, John 17, 17. Sanctify them. This is the words of Jesus. Speak, praying for us. Sanctify them. Your word is truth. And it's like, that's right. I've got a scripture for this. I've got the truth on this. Well, I can't wait to get to them and boom with the truth. That's not humility, is it? And we, again, when we really look carefully at Scripture and what love is, that love covers a multitude of sins with mercy and grace, and it's not that head pounding with the Bible, but it's Ephesians 4.15, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even like Christ. See, He wants us to grow and mature like Him. And so it's not just speak the truth, period. It's speak the truth with love. And that's part of the process that you're catching yourself, the Holy Spirit. Okay, you might have the truth, but you don't have love yet. And so the time is not right for you to talk about this yet. You're letting God put love in your heart. That's the nature of Christ. I love putting these scriptures together when I go over them because... It's we speak the truth and love, but that's the nature of Jesus. He holds them both. John 1, 14, and the word uh, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as the only begotten from the father, father, full of grace and truth. He carries both. It's not one more than the other. He wants us to grow and mature like him. This is uh, a work of God for us. So the next uh, principle for peacemaking and these four G's, number three, is gently restore. How can I lovingly serve others by helping them take responsibility for their contribution to this conflict? It's a, it's a loving serving. This, I believe this is, is going to help them. It's going to help others. And I'm going to go over the three scriptures that Jesus gives verses in, uh, in chapter 18, verses 15, 16, and 17. We're just going to take one verse at a time. 
and we're going to look at them because Jesus gives you these three phases to go in. And hopefully, by phase one, restoration is going to start and that's it. But if not, he gives you a phase two. And if that doesn't uh, bring restoration, then phase three. But if you notice how he does this, it's a principle of containment. Where you start small, then you add a, uh, two or three more, and then you bring it out even more so. And let's talk about that. Principle of containment. Verse 15, if your brother sins, go and show him, or of course this is a sister in the Lord, or her, her fault. Some translations say your sins. In private. That's one or one. If he listens to you, you have won your brother or your sister over. Now, this, is, this whole privacy is really important. And I've been pleased. I feel like our prayer groups do well at this. It's always good to reminder to be careful what you share at a prayer group, right? That you can share too much. And, and I'm more often in other prayer groups that aren't charismatic, and they might say, I have an unspoken request. And they're just, they just don't want, to, they don't want to say too much. Or they'll say... Uh, can you just pray for this family? They keep it vague because they don't want to include this group of people. And so that's important that as we pray over a situation, we are sharing it limited and with containment because you haven't gone to the person yet. Now, you know, it's, it's, it's not being sworn to secrecy. You know that prayer partner, that person that you get wisdom from, that you you have them agree with you about, you know, urgent things in your life, yes, tell them because this is, you need extra prayer. You might gain some wisdom for them on how to word things, how to say things, right? So it's okay to get limited counsel, but just not to accidentally make a prayer request into a gossip, right? And that's what we want to, and I, like I said, I believe our prayer groups do well, but it's something to remind ourselves and say, okay, hold on, now, that's a little bit too much information for this group right here, uh, is, I'm not sure if you're supposed to share all of that. Let's just con, you know, keep this contained. And so as you go to this person, you, and you're being honest about your humility, perhaps uh, that's the way to start, and you're talking about what your contribution to this, and then you bring it up that you've just, and, and you're one-on-one, they're going uh, to be grateful if you kept it contained. If they already know you've been talking to this and this person, they're going to be extra offended and mad, aren't they? They're going to have weapons and they're ready to come back at you and so that containment is so valuable. Let's go to the next verse. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every fact may be confirmed. Those capital letters in, uh, in, in my version, uh, if you have the New American Standard, it just refers to, this is an Old Testament scripture that Jesus is quoting, and, and this is true. This is in Old Testament. They also, in their court legal proceedings there in the Old Testament, need, things needed to be established by two or three witnesses. Oh, that's easy, because I've told you know, 20 of my friends, and they all believe the way I believe. No, it's not, your, it's not your gang, right, who's all been offended because of the things you've said, that this horrible things they've done. No, they're not a witness, right? They know your side of the story, but they don't know. They weren't there and seeing the bigger picture. And so hopefully this other person you take with you has some you know, first-hand knowledge and has an awareness themselves of what's going on, that sin, that fault that is, is, uh, is hurting them or hurting the relationship. Hopefully this person is more objective than you are. 
Again, this is the part of the process. You might suddenly realize, oh, it wasn't just 10% that I contributed to this. I've just talked to my friend who's going to go with me, and they pointed at, they were honest, this is a mature believer. They, they, re, they said, I'm about, you know, another 30%. I'm like at 40, it's 60, 40. It's, I'm, at, I'm at very at fault at this whole thing. So when you go back, you start again. I'm realizing now as I'm really praying about this and, and, do, and working this Jesus-Matthew 18 process, I'm more in the wrong than I realize. Please apologize for the pain I've caused. Please forgive me. Right there, then you take tension out of the air. There's an openness. The spirit of humility is there to work. The grace of God is flowing. So don't take mad people with you who are angry, that's not going to work toward Christ's goal, and that's restoration. Verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you even as a Gentile and a tax collector. You might ask, what is a Gentile? What's so terrible about a Gentile? <laughs> who are these people? So in the, in the land of, of Israel where... Jesus grew up, those were Israelites, they were Jews, and any non-Jew, any other race was considered a Gentile, and they weren't God's people, they didn't have God's Word, they didn't have God's Word growing up in their childhood, and uh, the Ten Commandments and the ways in, these, in this Scripture already about you need to have two or three witnesses to establish a re- reality and truth, and so they're thinking Gentiles are just, just pagans, they don't know anything about God and godliness, and, and, and so some of your translations might say heathen in there. A tax collector is even worse than that. A tax collector is a Jew that's been betrayed them and is uh, at the day serving with the Roman soldiers and just living, uh, you know, getting wealthy off of these extra taxes on the Jews and, and they were hated. And even in the end, when you see the life and teaching of Jesus, He loved the Gentiles. He went after a tax collector and made him one of his 12 apostles. The Matthew, the guy guy that we're reading from right now. So even when they are to be treated like a Gentile heathen or a tax collector, it's still with the love of God, folks. But it's in a truth and reality that they are living in godliness and holiness and they're in a sin that is, is that they're not willing to leave and therefore you're not relating to them as fellowship, as a brother encouraging one another, but you're relating to them to reach out to them, to stay connected, to give them, be a light to them by the light of God. As Remember, it's this in the passage said, oh, okay, we're, we're just supposed to spend time with Christians all the time and if they're not a believer and they're in sin and then I'm not supposed to spend time with them. No, no, this is, Jesus said, I, right, we've read this a couple weeks ago, that He has sent us into the world. He wants to be in it, but not of it. And He's prayed for us to empower us and transform us, sanctify us so we can live that out. Well, what does this look like? You tell it to the whole church. You put, you put it in the, uh, you know, the church email. You put it in announcements and say, hey, you know, I've had, now this is the third, you know, two meetings, and now the third meeting, there's nothing has happened. We've got to tell everybody that, hey, that this person has, you know, is no longer serving Christ because they, no, 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 no. It's not that kind of public thing. Now, back in the day, the early church for 
several centuries, churches weren't in big buildings, right? They were in homes and other small gatherings, 10, 12, 15, maybe 20 people. So you're not going to be able to hide it from a small group like that. So yeah, that, that whole community is going to have to be aware of it and deal with it. And then become part of that heart of restoration to that person that's in sin. This is, uh, so how do you do when you have bigger groups like this and larger churches and bigger churches? It's the, the church leadership that represents the church that deals with it. And that's what happens when you've taken a friend to, to go with you to establish with this person that this is really hurting our relationships. You then go to your church leaders. It might be uh, your small group leader first and they say, oh, that's something you take to the pastors and the elders and you involve the elders who are serving and representing the authority in the church. We know, does this really happen? Does, does this ever happen where there's someone, you know, that's been, uh, you know, uh, confronted or corrected by church leadership elders where they have gone through the weeds because they see the beauty in that person in this relationship? But it doesn't go well, and then that person's uh, not coming to church anymore or something like that? Yeah. It does happen. I served under Joel League for 12 years. I was an elder. I was also on staff. I know the situations that happened during those years. I was a leader on staff in a church in uh, Pennsylvania, Lancaster, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, and then in Philadelphia as a house church planner in inner city ministries. Yes, this actually happens. I've been here nine years. It's, it's been like over, what is that, over 30-some years I've been in... Church leadership ministry. I'm an old guy, folks. I've seen some things. And I'll just give you a few examples of things that I've seen. One, and you need to know this, about elders of Living Waters Church, if we, through a you know, ministry leader or a pastoral leader, hear that a marriage is breaking up, and there hadn't been any uh, coming to us for help or counsel Listen, we go straight for the jugular. I'm calling them on the phone that day. Marriage is sacred. Marriage is holy. And it is the church's responsibility to do all we can to provide the resources to save that marriage. There is no, we go straight to the church, straight to, straight to the church authority. There's no wasting time. We're going straight to them. In a few weeks, like I said, I think you know, we'll bring this up again and deal with the steps of restoring marriages. Another thing that has happened is there's, there's, there was a man one time uh, hitting on a woman. She told him, you know, she was, he was making her feel uncomfortable. Please stop. He kept doing it. She was single. She didn't have a husband. Her covering, her first covering would have been a husband, right? So that... She, if she was married, the husband should tell the husband, the husband go talk to that man. Looks him straight in the eye, right? That's to protect her. We protect. Authority protects. Authority covers. Authority uh, blesses and, and gives provision. And, and so if it kept going, and she needed covering. So she came to the elders. We were, we were kind of confused with this man because he was coming to church. He was starting to get involved in men's groups, and there were some good things about him, yet he wouldn't join the church, and there was, he was showing some distancing and things in different ways. It was just a little confusing, and now we're like, oh, okay. <clears throat> a 
So myself and, and another elder had a meeting with him. We were honest with him about what has happened. We had it confirmed by not just this woman, but somebody else who was a witness of it already in advance. And we gave him, this was his chance to say, yes, and I want to repent. I want to change. I don't want to be like this anymore. We gave him that chance, but he didn't take it. So the next sentence was, you're no longer welcome in our church body or ministries, any of them. We're not going to allow a spirit of lust to be in among us and and have women feel uncomfortable. This is a safe place. There have been times, several people over the years, that will speak divisively about leaders. Elders, pastors, board, volunteers, just ministry, anybody. Just And and they haven't gone. Have you done Matthew 18, 15? No, it... And there's this talk going around, and there's this, you know, tension. It's, there's not peace. Most of the time, hallelujah, when you sit down with a person like that, they, and you go with humility, you go with, with uh, 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 you know, uh, with, with a good heart, a humble heart. They see your heart that you really want what's best for them and the whole. And most of the time, it, it gets cleared up. It doesn't continue on. But there have been times, and in, in one particular, where it was the person was not responding to our, the elder's correction at all, didn't see it at all, and said, if you come back, we will call the police if you come back. They weren't receptive at all. They didn't see it at all. They had plans to come back as often they want to. Hey, it's a church, right? It's a church. Everybody's welcome at church. Not a divisive person who's been brought to a place of honesty in ministry to give them a chance to repent. Let me go and just mention a, a last um, uh, a point here, but I'd like for the worship team to go ahead and come on up. We're not going to dig into this uh, last of the G's, of the four G's of peacemaking, because I want to go into it deeply uh, next time in a couple weeks. But number four, go and be reconciled. How can I demonstrate for forgiveness, the forgiveness of God, encourage a reasonable solution to this conflict? And so, this is, so humility is a foundation for restoration. Speaking the truth in love, putting those together is a foundation. And then also forgiveness. And so this is, this is an area, this is a huge area. This is a key to a restoration. And we're going to be one of the things. And I want to hone it in a little bit more in the area of family, area of the workplace when you're not necessarily dealing with, with Christians. It's not a brother, but these principles still apply. And I want to go into that in the next session with more detail. So as we close in prayer and wait on the Lord here, I want to ask you 
in a spirit of humility, and I'm going to join with you. Lord, we welcome our friends, our family, those who are close to us to approach us. Perhaps it's a blind spot. Perhaps it's a sin. Something that's damaging to relationships. Lord, I don't want barriers. We, we don't want, I'm not just including us. Lord, we don't want barriers from the reality, from truth. We want to be able to listen and then take it to prayer. And we believe that you will confirm what's, what's truth. So Lord, we just even listen to you right now, what you could be saying to us through these truths in this message. Go ahead, Nancy, and let's just wait on the Lord together.